0: O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lowly exile here, until the Son of God appear. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadow put to flight. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. O come desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife and quarrels cease, Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. This hymn was originally from the eighth or ninth century. And since then, there's been a number of different translations uh, for the stanzas, and you'll notice if you look in our hymnal that there's two different men that are credited with uh, the the translation putting together this version of the hymn. In the original form of the hymn, there was an acrostic that spelled out erocras, which means, I shall be with you tomorrow, or tomorrow I will come. And so this song was sung on the eve of of Christmas, looking forward to the celebration of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ. It's It's a great tune, longing about the Savior to come and remembering the promise that he did, in fact, come. So this morning, we're going to look at the prophecy of the coming of Emmanuel. This has been... A uh, really fruitful and exciting study for me is I hadn't really ever delved into the details of what's happening in Isaiah seven to understand uh, what's what's behind all of that. And so we're going to look into uh, look into this. So turn to Isaiah chapter seven. The prophecy for Emmanuel comes during a specific time in the history of Israel, and it meant something for the people of that day, while also finding greater fulfillment in, later on in history in Christ. So the matter at hand for the people of Israel when this pro- prophecy is, was given, and for us, is this. Will we place our trust in God? Will we trust God being with us? So I'm going to start reading Isaiah chapter 7, starting verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear-Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us Go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tobiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. If you are not firm in faith, You will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son a God, who reveals Yourself in, in Your Word, I ask that as we study this passage this morning that You would provide us with eyes to see and ears to hear, that we'd be drawn to You in Your love, and that we would trust in You and not in anything or anyone else. Amen. Okay, so let's consider the historical background of Isaiah 7 for a moment. So the nation is divided into two kingdoms. If the northern kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom of Judah. And at this point in time, the Assyrian Empire is a great power and a threat to the surrounding nations. So the northern kingdom of Israel makes an alliance with Syria in order to try and defend themselves from Assyria. So the northern kingdom of Israel also wants control over Judah. So what happens is that the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria are threatening to attack and attempt to go up against Jerusalem and replace Ahaz with a king of their own who will essentially be a puppet and do whatever the northern kingdom of Israel wants them to do. So when Ahaz hears that Syria is in league with Ephraim, it says, "...the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind." So there is great fear that enters into the heart of Ahaz, the heart of the people of Judah. This would be a frightening time. Surrounding kingdoms joining forces, wanting to come defeat, coming to wanting to come and defeat the king and install a new king. What, what's going to happen to us? Are, are we going to be overthrown? Are we going to be defeated? So there's lots of uncertainty here about the future. But notice the great love of God and how he steps into this uncertain time to offer assurance. The Lord speaks to the prophet Isaiah and tells him to go talk with Ahaz. God tells Isaiah, Bring bring your son along, whose name is Shir Jashub. And Shir Jashub means a remnant shall return. And this name that it suggests both judgment. That there will only be a remnant left, but it also suggests grace and protection. There will, in fact, be a remnant that returns. So there is great assurance from the Lord here. Even if the worst were to happen and were to take place, there would be a remnant to return. The message that God has for Ahaz is one of encouragement. God says, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. So God God offers a message of hope to Ahaz. He is saying that the northern kingdom of of Israel and Syria will not be successful in in attempting to overtake Judah. They're like smoldering stumps. These, These two nations are not a threat to God. God is calling Ahaz to trust in him for protection. God is calling Ahaz to trust in his promises. And look at what God prophesies in verses 7 to 9. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Phamalia. If you are not firm in faith, You will not be firm at all. So God's call upon the life of Ahaz is for Ahaz to be firm in the faith that the Lord will accomplish what he says he will do. That God will provide the protection that he is promising. But there is also a warning that comes along with with this call. To not be firm in faith is to not be firm at all. And this is an important word for, for all of us. Unbelief leads to a shaky life because unbelief in God means that you're believing in something else. And that something else is not a firm foundation. What God says is true and trustworthy. And this is why building your life on the Word of God is like building your life upon a rock. When the flood comes, the house stands because the foundation is secure. It is established upon that which cannot be moved. But when we build our life on anything else, we're building on a foundation of sand. The storm washes away the foundation, the house falls. If you're not firm in faith, you won't be firm at all. God continues to show his great love and, and grace to Ahaz. And notice how God is showing his tender love and care to Ahaz, how God is pursuing after him. God tells Ahaz to ask for a sign, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. God's description of this sign is that he's willing to show a sign that is supernatural. As deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. That is a miraculous sign from God. and It is miraculous that he's willing to offer this to Ahaz. But what does Ahaz do? He refuses. And the way that Ahaz refuses also makes him look pious and godly. Did you notice that? Ahaz brings up Deuteronomy 6.16 in response to God, offering him a sign saying, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz is using the word of God to make it look like he's using, making the right decision. However, the issue here is that Ahaz is not interested in God and what God has to offer. He knows that if he trusts in the Lord, then he will have to do things God's way. But Ahaz is wanting to do things his own way. It's important for us to consider that we're capable of looking pious and looking godly while refusing God. This is how self-deceived we can be. We're able to take the word of god and use it in a way that that looks right however we really are rejecting god and using his word to reject him one commentator put it this way if we don't want god we can find a way to make our unbelief sound plausible even pious this is what ahaz has just done instead of trusting the lord what is it that ahaz runs to for security Remember, Syria and Israel are wanting to overtake Judah and replace him with another king. A reason that Syria and Israel are united is because they're fearful of the Assyrians, this great nation. Instead of relying upon God, who has just promised that Syria and Israel will not overtake them, Ahaz decides to go to the Assyrians and ask them for help. We read about this in 2 Kings 16, verse 7. Which says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. He runs to the Assyrians for salvation and for rescue. As Ahaz is requesting for the Assyrians to save him, he also gives them silver and gold from the house of the Lord. If that doesn't show the state of his heart well enough, while Ahaz is in Damascus to meet with the king of Assyria, he notices their great altar and thinks it's amazing. And he sends Uriah the priest an exact model of this altar and asks Uriah to build it and replace it the altar that's in Judah, with this new pagan altar. And so Ahaz removes the altar of the Lord and replaces it with this this pagan altar. It is clear and evident Ahaz made his decision. He is not interested in the Lord. Instead, he is interested in relying upon his own foreign policy strategy to save himself, and also relying upon the Assyrians to be saved. And so For a moment here, we have some questions we can ask ourselves. Who are you placing your faith in? Who will be the person to rescue you? Ahaz decided to trust in man to be his rescue. Trusting in man with us. Trusting in man, um, instead of trusting in God, is, is a disaster. In our own lives, this typically plays out in two different ways, whether it's trusting in ourselves or trusting in others. People make bad saviors. People make bad gods. People are sinful. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. This makes it impossible for a person to save you because they are in need of being saved as well. Two people drowning in a sea, trying to help and save each other isn't going to go well. And that analogy in itself is actually too gracious because Scripture tells us we are dead in our sins and trespasses. It's more like two people who are dead and buried trying to help each other become alive. It's impossible. It's nonsensical. It won't happen. People are not powerful. People cannot provide you with everything that you need. People have weaknesses and cannot present you blameless before God. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. You and I are in need need of saving. And we're in need of of someone else to save us. Trusting in yourself is foolish. Relying upon your own strength and ability to make it. Relying upon your own good works and, and wisdom to, to please God and be right with the Lord. This is to think too highly of ourselves and not to understand the, the depth of, and the nature of our sin and rebellion against God. The desire in our hearts is, is strong to want to earn the right of a relationship with the Lord. We work hard at everything else we have in life. We work hard for our homes and our position our reputation, our jobs. We can also fall into the temptation of trying to work for our salvation. But we cannot bring ourselves back from the dead. Our salvation is a work of God. It is possible, like Ahaz, to reject God while also looking good and pious about it, like we're following his will, by working hard. But to reject the Lord's help is to reject God himself to reject God with us, to reject Emmanuel. So look at verse 13, Isaiah seven thirteen. In response to Ahaz refusing God's gracious offer of a sign, Isaiah gives a rebuke to Ahaz. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? There is a slight change here. That's important for us to notice. In in verse 11, Isaiah, in speaking for the Lord, says to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. But now, in verse 13, after after Ahaz has refused Isaiah, um, Isaiah says, Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Did you see the, the, the change there? It's clear that Ahaz has chosen a different God other than the Lord to be his God. And Isaiah points this out and rebukes Ahaz for wearying the people and the Lord. This is not to say that God gets weary like we do, but Ahaz is continually rejecting God time and time again. And so it is within this context that we get the famous verse 14. Therefore, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Wow. Ahaz has just rejected the offer for a sign. And the Lord essentially says, I'm going to give you one anyway. We know now that this verse was predicting the virgin birth of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew shares with us what happened between Mary and Joseph, and then we read in in chapter 1, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I believe that this prophecy has two fulfillments. This prophecy meant something to Ahaz in his day, and it has its greater and greatest fulfillment in Christ. We can know that this prophecy refers to something in Isaiah's time because of the following verses. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. I believe this is a prediction of the birth of this is a mouthful of a name. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. In reading the beginning of chapter 8, we see that the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria is tied to the boy with this name. His it has got a $5 word. Hard to say that. What it means is, the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. One of the commentators put it this way. The message of Maher, Shalal, Hashbaz's young life was Emmanuel, God with us. The enemy forces are doomed because God is with his people. God keeps his promises. And God shows his faithfulness as this prophecy comes to pass and the kingdoms that were threatening Judah are overtaken. But the greater fulfillment of Emmanuel God with us, is found in Jesus. I spoke earlier about the fact that every person has fallen short of the glory of God. There is no man who is able to save you. You cannot rely upon another person for your salvation. You can't rely upon yourself. But, in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, there is a special person who you can rely upon for salvation. That is Emmanuel. Emmanuel as God with us. John 1.14 puts it beautifully. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is truly God and truly man. He is someone who we can rely upon for salvation. Why is it important That Jesus is truly God and truly man? The Heidelberg Catechism explains this question in a helpful way. In answering the question, why must he be a true and righteous man? It says, He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner, he cannot pay for others. Jesus became flesh, adding humanity to himself in order that he could identify with humanity and suffer as a substitute in the place of mankind. A righteous man could be the only person who could pay for the penalty of the sin of mankind. And Jesus could be a righteous substitutionary sacrifice in our place. And Jesus is also truly God. The catechism asks, why must he be true God? And responds saying, so that by the power of his divinity, he might bear the weight of God's anger in his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. There is no way that a mere man could completely completely satisfy the wrath of God towards sinners. The wrath of God towards sin is an infinite wrath. So the only person who would be able to bear that would be a savior who is divine. As Jesus offers the sacrifice of himself that is of infinite value. And in Jesus being God he has the power over death itself. He is able to have victory over death and apply that victory to his people because of his great amazing love and mercy and grace forgiveness that he has towards his people. So we, like Ahaz, have a similar decision to make before us. Ahaz had two nations who were aligned together against him and threatened to destroy him. But he chose to trust in himself and, and trust in others to be rescued, rather than trusting in God. We also have enemies who are aligned together seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, They're they're far greater enemies than enemy nations. The battle with sin and death is a a far greater war uh, than a war with another enemy. So who are you placing your trust in to save you? We all are responsible uh, for making this decision uh, to trust in God, or to trust in ourselves. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is the person who is able to save us from our sins. He was the righteous and perfect sacrifice in our place. He was able to bear the the wrath of God we deserved. He was able to defeat death. And now those who repent and believe believe He offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He offers Emmanuel, God with us, for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your immense love. We're grateful that you are a forgiving God, that you are a God who relents from disaster, that you are a God who offers Yourself. Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, I ask that You'd be working in our own hearts and minds that we would be people who trust You. That we would not trust in ourselves or trust in other people for salvation, for our righteousness, for being made right um, before You, but instead that we would, we would trust in God, that we would trust in, in Jesus Christ who takes away the sin of the world. We thank you for the incredible gift of salvation for those who repent and believe. God with us, not only now, but for all of eternity. Amen.